Hello, friends, and welcome to the most glorious of events, the Movie Mavericks Podcast. This outstanding program is hosted by two fine gentlemen, Jason and Trevor. Now make it so. MovieMavericks.com Hey now, everybody. Welcome to a special episode of the Movie Mavericks Podcast. We are not falling asleep during this podcast for any reason whatsoever. I'm Trevor Anderson, Susan Jason Rugard. He's going to let you know uh, what we're talking about today. Tonight we are talking about the Dream Warriors. Not Dokken, but Nightmare on Elm Street 3, the Dream Warriors. One, two, Freddy's coming for you, and we are going for you tonight. We're going to be discussing the 1987 box office hit. This was quite a hit at the time, released on February 27th, and the third entry in the Nightmare on Elm Street series. Where do you rank this on the overall series? Now that we've rewatched this here, I've been rewatching this series throughout the summer, um, so I got a lot to say on this one tonight. But where do you rank this one? So I haven't watched the series in a while. I've seen, uh, I pretty much know the first and the last movie. And we're talking about Nightmare on Elm Street movies specifically uh, by heart. Those are fucking great. The ones in the middle, I, I didn't know so so well, I guess. And this one, I thought I knew better. Watching it again, I didn't really like it as much as I as I thought that I did. So I'm I'm probably gonna rate this uh, a little bit lower. I probably would go, you know, four three two. I think four three two. Or no. Maybe four two three actually. I uh, I might put this at the bottom actually. I I really liked part four when I was younger. I still rank that as the high point. It's hard to say of the series because I love New Nightmare. The first one's really yeah. good. Um, but of the uh, to me part three here of the middle group. If the middle group four is the best, I go four three five six is how I go. Um, but to me that this one is the soft reboot of the franchise because. The first one was so low budget and grimy. The second one was such a departure sure. from anything that was established in the first one that they wisely just overlooked weird, that one, right? Weird fucking movie. But I still think... Um, Entertaining. I think it's interesting because of, because of what it is. It's so fucking weird and it's... Um, yeah, it's a, it's a different uh, way to go. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Say that. And this is, to me, the, the soft reboot of the, the restart of the franchise uh, in keeping with a lot of things, but also setting up a lot of tropes that we would come to see later. Um, specifically mm-hmm. the opening nightmare sequence. You know, that's something that was held on to uh, for a long time after this. You know, that really special effects he- heavy opening nightmare sequence. The, the Freddy rhyme is in this movie. You know, that one, two, Freddy's coming for you. That's in this for the first uh-huh. time. And uh, that is definitely one of the freakier things. Right. And, and, and that's, <laughs> that used to freak me out as a kid. Oh, for sure. And also another thing that this sequel sets up that is really utilized in the further it is, is, is a plot point in this is pulling other characters into your dream right because in the first two people were having well, nightmares the, but i don't recall the, them actually pulling their friends into the dream right but that was because but that you're right but that it works on the idea of pulling freddy out of your dreams right so you could kill him so that's why i thought this one was kind of like an like an advancement on that or like a not even an advancement, but like a, like a pivot on that, like a, like a, just an extra dimension to that. Yeah, that's fair. Was that you had people like, like like Heather Logan Logan Camp's character Nancy, right, is special um, in this sense. For this is like midi chlorians in some way, right? Like she's special because she was able to to deal with Freddie in that way with her with her mind and was able to pull him out and, and beat him and all this shit. And here you have um, a character who 
can pull people into dreams and pull pull people like, like kind of like mind meld all this whole group of people together. So I don't know. It, it works, I think, in the in the in the idea of the franchise. And this also reinstates a female character as the lead after the second one departed from right. that, bringing back as Trevor had said, Heather Lampkin, uh, or I'm sorry, Heather whatever her last name is, but it's Nancy Thompson, right? Or Nancy Thomas in the... <laughs> yeah, Logan Camp. Yeah, Logan Heather Camp. Logan Camp. And she's right, good in this, Nancy. but I love that she shows up in her scene and she has the single streak of gray hair a la Storm, like she's been through this traumatic right. experience with Freddy and she's the, the grand wizard that's going to help these kids. The storyline here is about a girl who is seeing these visions, tries to commit suicide. Her mom puts her into basically uh, psychotic care of a hospital that turns out to be a horror show, Mm -hmm. Um, maybe the worst hospital since One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest or Terminator 2, um, depending on how the orderlies act towards these kids. I mean, some are, are just vicious towards them. But the movie has a good concept because it's all set within a certain um, enclosed environment. You know, it's this hospital. You have a certain amount of characters. They, they don't do the school thing. They get away from the high school, which I was especially happy about because so many 80s films were set at high schools. Um, and the special effects in this movie were so good. I, I thought that even today, how inventive all this was, right? Every kill is astonishingly inventive for the time as far as i'm concerned i mean with the we'll get through it but you know the it's not just the yeah. slasher movie this isn't a friday the 13th where you're just lopping someone's head it's off it's pretty no, no no it's pretty clear why like watching this movie i thought you know god this is definitely of its time it, it, but the special effects are fucking where this movie's at like they're awesome in this I, like freddy is freaky as shit and the shit that he does in this and specifically i think because you know, Freddy can do a lot of shit because it's in it's dreamland, right? And so uh, they really take that to the next level in this movie, I thought, as far as the first two go, for sure. Yeah, I mean, the, just a, a briefly here, I think some of the more effective moments are the handles on the sink coming alive and slashing with the in the very beginning. Uh, I think that mm-hmm. the, the mouth that's devouring her is one of yes, the most horrific right? images oh when I was God. a kid. I mean, that's just, uh, <laughs> seeing it now, it, it's a bit goofy, but when I was a kid, it really sold It's it. of its time, yeah, for sure. It's of but its this time. is definitely, this is a movie that even if you, you know, there were a lot of movies I saw at the at the drive-in. This wasn't one of them, but um, as a young kid, you would you would go to the drive-in with your family and watch this movie, and then they would be playing the fucking uh-huh. <laughs> hard R-rated yep. horror movie across the way and you'd look out the back of the car and watch that shit. This is the kind of shit that I that I would see as a, as a you know an 8-year-old or, or a 10-year-old and would be absolutely frightened and no sound. You just see these images and yeah, they fucking nail it. Uh, I've been at drive-ins as a kid where that kind of thing happened, you know, where this a horror film was playing and it's even scarier in your mind trying to figure out what's actually happening exactly. uh, without the sound and dialogue. But isn't that because but these images are like that these these they're uh well obviously there's no cgi but even that they look fake but they don't there's this eerie sense of like realism to all of this somehow like it like it like there's just something tangible about it that you don't get with cgi and even just in the staging a lot of these scenes a lot of atmospheric um gothic looking type shots and and set design that really sold it especially in this movie um one of my favorite parts of this is not only when the tv Freddie comes alive and, and grabs the girl and impales her into the television set but is the claymation <laughs> Freddie 
I always loved that sequence yeah. when the little claymation version comes out and then um, he's playing with the guy's tendons. I mean, that was horrific to me when I was younger. Uh, that's I believe yeah. Bradley Gregory who does that, who's a... He basically turns the guy into a puppet. Yeah, I mean, just it, which goes with the puppet master theme of it all. And a lot mm-hmm. of these um, things, I think, later were used in music videos. I, I want to say Tool had a very, very famous video where they used that technique um, and some of these styles. So Chuck Russell, the director, hmm. coming out of nowhere, really, to make this film and having such You're a... Going on to had, make some good stuff after, right after this and then some not so good stuff. Right. What, a, what an eclectic, strange <laughs> career, right? And, and, and over so many yeah. genres. Where do you? Let's go through his career here briefly. Where do you stand on some of these? The Blob. Yay or nay? I, I love the Blob remake. This is the 1988 yes. Blob remake. I love it. Okay, me too. I'm a I fan. I think it's a great movie. Uh, and for Kevin Dillon in that. Um, sure. Let's see. Mask. The Mask. Jim Carrey. The Mask. Fucking awesome. I think. Love it. The underrated Cameron Diaz one. is on fire. And fire <laughs> in that movie. And out of the three movies that came out that year of Ace Ventura, The Mask, and Dumb and Dumber, yep. I think it's the underrated of the three. This was by far one of my favorite. I, we watched this on VHS. All the time. Or I did anyways, all the time. And it was it's a perfect movie for Jim Carrey. He's basically playing a cartoon character. It's perfect. It's a perfect movie for VHS too uh, at the time, honestly. Yeah. It lost yeah. nothing in the transfer. Uh, next, he would go on to do a racer with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, I'm a big fan yeah, of that. This is where we start. This is where we start having a downturn. Look, I'm a big fan of Eraser. It's not a very good movie. Let's just be honest. And as far as uh, Arnold goes, it's it's the beginning of the end. It is, and it's put together rather cheaply for being such a big budget movie. Uh, yeah. And then you have the last hurrah, a la the Scorpion King. We forgot Bless the Child. Oh, I did on purpose. I wasn't going to bring that one up. Um, Bless the Child <laughs> it's not very is good. awful. Have you seen oh, it lately? I, I haven't seen it since the theater. I watched it not too long ago. Uh, yeah. I watched it again not too long ago because I thought it can't be. It's, it really is just not a very good movie. It, well, it's a bad performance by Kim Basinger as well. That was the time when she did like that. Yeah. I Dream of Africa. She, she did like a string of shit movies. And uh, I for, almost forgot Chuck Russell even had anything to do with that film because it was so bad. But... Um, Let's jump over then to the Scorpion yeah. King. Where do you but add then you on say that? Scorpion King, yeah. Look, I like the Scorpion King, and I like all the Scorpion King movies. And I'm not afraid to say that because I like a lot of shitty movies. But I'm also, you know, can be realistic. It's not good. It's it's not great. It's no mummy. It's uh, about on the level of Cold the Conqueror in terms of the execution, which I love as well. But you're right. I mean, some some of the sword and sorcery or sword and sandals, whatever genre you think this best fits in <laughs> um you know they're good but they're not great yeah it's hard to make a good one and you see that uh, in the aftermath of gladiator when you had things like troy and alexander and then you had absolutely right. terrible ones like king arthur and um kingdom of heaven there you go yeah really bad ones um, which is uh, you know, Kingdom of Heaven has a fantastic director's cut that's longer than shit. That's really fucking good. I've seen it. Yeah, it's much. Um, I still don't love it, but it's better than the the theatrical cut. Oh, the comparison to to that and the, the- and theatrical cut's ridiculous. Yeah, um, I don't know. I do. I love that director's cut of that movie. I think that makes that movie worthwhile. Well, getting back to this one, this was released, like I said, on February 27th, 1987, topped the box office chart with about $8.8 million and went on to gross $44 million on a $4.5 million budget, a huge hit. This was the first one of the series that they directly marketed to the MTV generation 
Freddie was hosting uh, Headbangers yep. Ball and all sorts of stuff like that. They had the Dokken Dream Warriors music video playing on heavy rotation that showed clips from the movie. So all of this aided in it making a lot of money during this season with 25% drops or less week over week. And I always thought, as far as franchises go, horror franchises, Freddy is definitely the most animated. He's definitely the easiest character to bring out and parade around like that. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, if you're looking at, like, Michael Myers or... Um, or Jason, they're just Jason, stiffs. you're really looking at brooding, yeah, people who are just standing there, like, imposing and stuff. And, and Freddy is more like, in ways, I guess, more like the Jim Carrey of the bunch, right? He's, he's very animated. He's... Just more interesting to uh, to parade around like this and and to to push as far as like a uh, uh, promotional stuff, you know. Well, this is also the one where Freddie became the selling point, right? This is no longer is it the concept. Freddie is the guy of the, the Dream Warriors are yeah. going in there to Actually, kill. I go along with that, yeah. And I go along with that. He's def- he's definitely the whole reason for this, even though they're they're still going over the the same stuff they went over in in the first movie. Um, yeah, you're right. It's mostly about him and and what you know what the franchise has to offer beyond this is definitely just Freddy. And this is really Robert England's time to shine because he's given the chance here to go full tilt and he kills it. This he's the best thing about the movie in terms of acting. Uh, the other characters, while it has a cast full of future Oscar winners in Lawrence Fishburne and, and Patricia Arquette. It's really Robert England here who is bringing, bringing the heat because every time he's on screen, you can't take your eyes off the guy. He's it, not only is it the humor pumped up in this one, um, his mannerisms and some of the facial expressions that he's doing here through the makeup are still effective. So it's a hell of a mm-hmm. performance. I know a lot's been said over the years about what England has brought to the role and what it would have been without him in it. And he's obviously invaluable, but this is the one where... To me, Freddie is just Freddie becomes the guy. I mean, he's like I said, moving forward, you see why they're pushing him even more, why he's everywhere. He's on talk shows and wrestling matches, and he became the pop cultural yeah. icon between this film and I believe the next film, somewhere around 87, 88. He's the guy in times of, in terms of horror. Um, 87 is a strange year for horror films. It's not a massive year. I mean, this is that would be the top 20, the 20th highest grossing film of the year is Nightmare on Elm Street 3. Mm-hmm. So it makes the top 20. But other films that came out in 1987, horror films, let me read you a list here. And they're classics, but at the time, they were received rather coldly. Hellraiser, <laughs> The Hidden, Lost Boys, Evil Dead 2, House 2. I mean, Creepshow 2. These are movies that I've seen. I'm down. I love all of Lots and lots of times, right? But at the time... <laughs> Those are great. But at the time, they were overlooked uh, by audiences on, on, you know, on a mm-hmm. popular level. So this was the only horror film of the year that actually scored. And I remember, you know, there's those areas where they say horror is dead and uh, obviously not the case because horror just always resurges and rebounds but yeah do you think this i mean differently at times i th- there's definitely a a moment in here in the 80s i mean you're saying oh this year wasn't very good but you have to understand we had um 
like all six of these movies are released in less than a deck less than 10 years unbelievable right from each other not to mention the halloweens um, and the jasons and all that kind of stuff we're actually in within 10 years of each other actually exactly 10 years right because 1984 was the first one and 94 was the last yep. one yeah, so 10 years, and I mean, we're talking, this one is 87. There's uh, Four came out the year after this, five came out the year after that, and then we had, into the 90s, uh, we had the the other two. So that's like a pretty steady flow of fucking Nightmare on Elm Street movies. And the same happened with Friday the 13th and um, and the Halloween movies as well. So it, it, you're right, it was a weird time for horror because I, I, we, we're living this now as well, if you look at the Blumhouse shit. Right, we have... Um, entire franchises not universes i guess thank thank you marvel we have whole horror universes that are still being released and and even i guess to some extent this plays into that with like a freddy versus jason you know not but 20 years after this and on just crazy on on this guy when you have a movie being released every year like this and with the invent Mm -hmm. uh at the popularity the soaring popularity of vhs which these movies were seen I mean, I couldn't get in to see these movies. The first one of these I saw in a theater was part four, and I had an aunt that took me, which was awesome. I was nine, but I was too young to see this one. But we definitely saw this on HBO. And the way it would work is that, you know, yeah. it would play on HBO, <laughs> and it was almost like a primer to get you ready for the next one. So Freddie was constantly in the lexicon on TV. You know, he was just an icon of the time. I missed that. Yeah, I missed that. But we do have stuff like that with The Nun, but it doesn't... It doesn't impact the same. It just doesn't hit the same. Yeah, it's just not the same. Like, I watch, like, these new Exorcist movies are trying to to spin coming out, and I just think, ugh, you know, like, it's just not that good. Like, I want a real... I need some horror character again. They've tried to revive this type of horror many times over, and they've been really unsuccessful in doing it and so i don't know why i don't know why this is so difficult it seems so silly and uh you just do something really grotesque i'm like you know i i, well, I guess um like terrifying i was gonna might say be art the, the clown successful on i think a macro of this level, really at this point on a macro level art the clown but the, yeah. the problem with that is is the non-speaking but with that actor who plays him, we were you know raving about his expression. He's more interesting because he doesn't and he doesn't just stand there. Right. Yeah, he's not just gonna stand there and brood. He's gonna fucking move around and do shit. Like he's that's a frightening character actually. I think that might be one of the better um, examples of taking something from this era and putting it in today's uh, you know type of, of film. Uh, yeah, that that well. So I guess there's one thing it took. What I don't know. It's been thirty years. Thank God. And somebody did it on a <laughs> macro level. Uh, this was also a high-budget film in that, I mean, 4.5 now is not a, a lot of money. And even back then, it was not a ton of money to spend on a film. But it grossed 10 times that. And, so. and this is a the, the special effects-driven horror film, which was, at the time, kind of a, an anomaly. This was not the normal. This was, you know, and usually you had your slasher films, which I were disagree. very, very low down and dirty. Can you think of another high-budget? Uh, well, um, s- slasher films, but yeah, high-budget. I mean, these the people... This is the era in which, you know, a lot of people were cutting their teeth. So you saw a lot of low-budget, special effects-heavy films. Yeah, the Tom Savini's of the world, people like um, that, and his his ilk. But if you're talking about a high budget, then you might then you're going to be right. But these kind yeah. of fantasy worlds, you, you'd seen this kind of stuff before in the fantasy genre up to this point. The the kind of stuff that they were doing when they're going into the parallel universes and the fantastical nature of it all, as opposed to just slashing and burning. 
I mean, you're a horror aficionado, so you'd know. Well, there were a lot of slasher movies. I mean, slasher movies are decades old at this point, right? So, and for certain, those are are easy to make. You're right, but but there were there's a lot of t- especially with Star Wars and stuff. But even before that, leading up to that, there was a group of people from the 70s, right, and, and especially into the 80s, of just people who love special effects. And we're talking old school special effects, right from from the '30s and stuff, and and these guys really honed that. And you get movies like this, but this wasn't like it's not unheard of to get who did special effects on this. You know, I I watch a movie I like I watch this movie. It's set it's in a like hospital, a, and I think of Halloween Two, which is so creatively bankrupt in comparison to this story, this concept, this execution of this movie. And that's why I put this on such a high pedestal because it could have been so lazy. And it's not. It's inventive and creative at every turn. Uh, like you said, it's of its time, but uh, so this wasn't a, really a group. Or people did this, but this wasn't a wasn't uh, a well-known group. Um, yeah, what am I thinking of? A company. You know? It wasn't like Greg Nicotero or any of those guys but at the time. But I mean, you're talking about Evil Dead coming out at the same time. I mean, there you go. A lot of special effects in that. Um, there were a lot of zombie stuff. There were there were plenty of special effects to be had. Um, but this was bigger in the scale as far as like uh, entire set pieces being special effects in and of to themselves. You know, I mean, you're right about that. It is bigger in scale in that sense. Yeah, there's a set piece every time one of these kids gets wiped out. Yeah, and the whole set can be a special effect in this movie for a lot of it. Um, they're really big special effects, but... I don't know. I, I mean, there's. I, I think if you if you went through this, uh, this is the late '80s. So I think if you went through the '80s, you'd find uh, a buildup to this for sure. The story was done by but, Wes Craven, yeah. though. So he came back for this, and his original concept was to do what he did later with New Nightmare, uh, a movie within a movie. They shut that down. Audiences, a good wisely so. Audiences, I don't think would have taken to. The, they didn't take to it in '94. I definitely don't think they would have taken to it in '87. But what he did here with this story mm-hmm. was give it some sort of gravitas. I mean, I do like this is the first time that we're really given the backstory. It's instead of just some exposition, we're truly shown the backstory, given the nun, given the rape, you know, by the thousand maniacs, and it starts to get this this mythology building that wasn't there in the first two. And I also like this about this movie is that it's the first one to truly take the Freddy mythology and even deepen it. And I think that those scenes with the nun are some of the more effective sequences in the movie. Uh, did you find any of that still effective, or did you find it just hokum? Uh, yeah, I mean, most of it looks pretty hokey, but I do remember seeing things you know, in this nature as a kid, so I understood the horror of it. Yeah. If that makes any sense, you know, but it does look of its time. It, and definitely watching it as an adult now. Um, it's not that scary at all, if any scary at all. Not that I was necessarily scared as a kid to that degree, but as a kid, definitely uh, you would see stuff like this. You know, it was eight or nine, and it would it would definitely it be a fear of the dark type situation at some point. Yeah, you like that would that does seep into your mind, especially things like you talk about uh, specifically like uh, him eating her. Like that whole scene is just like whoa. Like as a kid, seeing that was like. Yeah. <laughs> what you know that so yeah i definitely me. remember that kind of stuff and and not only with just this movie but there were plenty of movies horror movies you know i remember child's playing all that stuff and it's not it's ridiculous to watch nowadays but as a kid uh very different um 
So I can only imagine today what watching like a horror, although horror movies today still feel very watered down compared to this, but the special effects are more realistic at this point. Well, at least these were hard R. I mean, this was an actual R rating and not some PG-13 bullshit. I know. That's why I still feel like these have like more weight to them in the sense of like, I would be more scared seeing this necessarily than watching any of the other stuff made today feels like the nun or any of that, you know, um, universal stuff today feels eh, like it's just not like it's meant to not be that scary. It's almost made that way. Uh, Whereas this was just made to freak you the yeah, fuck out. Yeah, these felt like dares to get through. Do you know what I mean? It was almost like a badge of courage yeah. that we had made it through. Um, these were always a staple at a sleepover. This was the kind of shit. This was the kind of shit you went down to the video yep. store and in that fucking tape, in that fucking box that you rented, was a was fucking horror. Was a movie you know? that you had to get through. There's some shit in here that you're going to be like, what the fuck am I watching? It was an experience that was going to maybe change you forever because yes. you never knew what the fuck lied on that tape. There was a lot of this type of stuff back then. I love that kind of shit. You just don't get that nowadays at uh, all. I, I remember the scene when we were watching this as kids in the sequence um, where the girl ODs, you know, and he um, sticks the needles into yeah. her arm. And oh, I mean, yes. when, when he's writing, that's freaky when shit. he's writing on the boy's chest, you know, when she's sitting there with the boy at his body and all of a sudden he starts, Freddie's mm-hmm. writing her a note on his, on his body. And it's just, those were things that I remember as a kid that still stuck with me to this day. So, and also on the video cassette box, I believe on the back was on the picture that they sold was that mouth eating the girl. And I just thought like, I, I just remember having a visceral reaction to the box itself and thinking, stay away from the box. Like the box <laughs> is scary, you know? Um, yeah. But great cover yeah. art. I mean, the one sheet to this movie is is hands down, in my opinion, the best cover art of any of the series. I mean, this is a fantastic artwork where they're on the blades. They all have a weapon. They're all in character heading in to, to do battle with him. I love the one sheet. And it almost sells a movie mm-hmm. that can't quite live up to the promise of that one sheet. Um, but it's still damn good. Yeah. And someone who I, I want to point out who I think is very effective in this is the actress Priscilla Pointier. And she has these really piercing eyes. She's the old lady who runs the the hospital there, the kind of Nurse Ratchet character. I think she's really mm-hmm. good in this movie. And um, she plays it like she's in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. As I was rewatching this, I thought... Here's somebody right? who's really trying. I don't think she knows what she's Isn't in. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, I mean, talk about a fucking pro. I thought that too. This movie kind of does that though, in a bit with the with the uh, doctor and with Nancy having to like they have these whole conversations. Like, can we hypnotize these people? Should we be doing this? Is this right? You know, this and that. It's like fucking Freddie is on the loose. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> what are you guys doing? Talking about psychology? Like, move it along, people. We're beyond that. And another, oh, fuck, here's a movie, a classic from 1987 I didn't even think about, uh, is Prince of Darkness. And you want to talk about a talkative, uh, you know, theological mm-hmm. uh, movie, yes. that's something, but that highly effective version of that kind of movie. Yeah. But that movie's got yeah, a lot that, of things that's on its one mind of those... that this movie does not have on its mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is definitely a different type of movie than this. Um I mean, that's a fucking masterpiece. That's a great, fa- uh, fantastic movie, but yeah, not... It holds up as well. N- not the same thing as this at all. Yeah. I do like in this third one that they bring back John Saxon from the first one. I always like the character uh-huh. in these slasher movies of the beleaguered sheriff 
who's been and through he gets it. His, uh, he gets his his heroic out in this one too. That's what he? I liked about it too, you know. And and it closes <laughs> yeah. the line between the daughter and him. It furthers that a little bit, so it adds. You see that nobody believed her, mm-hmm. you know, as a kid. And um, but like I said, I love that beleaguered cop in these movies that just. The small town sheriff that dig, he doesn't have to put up with this shit. Like, why in his town does he have to deal with this? You know, are you out of your mind? And and then you, you know you come to find out what the parents did to Freddy Krueger. Um, and it's it, mm-hmm. I think that's briefly mentioned in the first one, but in this one it's For really sure it um, it's it's really drama- dramatized. I mean, they they push it even further that they. You know, they burn him alive and the whole thing. And is it part six uh-huh. where they have that, they actually film that sequence and he's with the little 3D motion and the fire demons talking to him and he's in the garage? Is that part six? Uh, you know, I think that's Freddy's dead. I think that's the fifth one, right? I get the fifth one. That's probably the one I've seen the I least. I think that's, that's the fifth one. That's not the sixth Okay, one. that's the one I've seen the least, the dream child. I'm... Uh, that's that's out of all of them. I've seen that one the least amount of times. Isn't that not that one? Or is that? I think that might be six. I think dead. that might be part six. That might be Freddy's dead. You might be right about that. That might be Freddy's yeah, dead. Yeah, I think you might be right. Yeah, I might be right on that. So that was yeah ninety one. I don't know. Those are the two. Uh, both of those would be. Like I said, the most I've watched would be the first and the and the and the, um, and the nightmare new nightmare, which would be the sixth one or uh, seventh. Yeah, no seventh. Yeah. Um, those would be the the ones that I've seen the most, uh, and by most I mean like a lot. You know, we talked about Predators um, on our last podcast mm-hmm. of the retro we did, Predators Three, Predators, and this came out in 2010, and also in 2010 was the remake, re-release, reboot of Nightmare on Elm Street, Jackie yeah. Earl Haley starring as Freddy. I did not care at all for that remake and didn't surprise me i thought though i would like it a little bit with mara rooney and i you know with some some good actors actors and actresses in it Mm. but man not my cup of tea at all and i don't think anybody's did you care for that one did you think it was successful i still have not get the fuck out of here are you serious and I own it here on DVD somewhere, but I never watched it. Wow. <laughs> I would have assumed that you had seen it. I could it. never read myself to do it, and I just never, it just never happened. That was during that era when they remade everything Friday the 13th, My Bloody Valentine. I know. And uh, um, what else was in there? Text Chainsaw Massacre was not long before. Right. That. Hills Have Eyes, all that kind of stuff. Um, Hills Have Eyes. Yeah, it was in that whole era. Well, they were remaking all kinds of stuff in the, in the 2000s there, you know, House of Wax. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, all that kind of stuff. So leading up to these bigger titles, which eventually <laughs> ended it. I think the most successful one of these that was outside of this franchise is Freddy versus Jason, which is surprisingly I a blast. Love, I think it's fantastic. Why is that movie so fucking entertaining? It should not work at all. It's just it good, should not man. work in the least, and it totally does. Well, you you tell me that, but you know, I mean, obviously, Ronnie, you. There's something special there. I agree. Right. Uh, about him. There has to be because why is Bride of Chucky so good? Yep. I, I seriously, that why is Bride of Chucky so entertaining for a child's play movie, which have always been rather entertaining, but but they are what they are. But Bride of Chucky is high point. fucking good. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's my second favorite one out of the, out of the original series. Um, and also Fearless, the Jet Li movie. I mean, to talk about another um, genre that he excelled in. Mm-hmm. And you know what goofy-ass movie I saw way too many times when I was working at a video store was Warriors of Virtue, which he also did. So, 
Yeah, he did that. Kangaroo karate movie. So, um, but no, um, I I think that the the Freddy versus Jason for the stupid story that it has is fucking really really entertaining. And I every time I watch it, I'm surprised that it holds up for what it is. Yeah, I never understood why they didn't make more of those, especially with the the ending of that, which clearly gave them. Or they they obviously they couldn't you know actually end it, but it it gave that sense that there was going to be more, and it made enough money that it should have been. I mean, shit, they made a bunch of Aliens versus Predators, and those were just as successful. So don't yeah. see why they didn't do that. But fun little movie. Um, but on this third one here, pretty good for me on the rescreen. I, I would say having rewatched this, the limitations of the genre of the time period, it's of its time, as you always say. But I still mm-hmm. think this is a superior example of what this type of filmmaking was during this era. I don't think it's the best of the series, but I do think it's up in the, the top ranks of the series. Um, I, I don't know, though. It, it is missing yeah. something. There, there's an extra piece that it's missing, and I, I don't know what it is. But I also thought it was hilarious that I used to think that Kincaid was a boring. badass when I was a kid. I thought, this dude's tough as fuck, you know. And watching it now, I go, this guy's a soft lump. Get out of here. Um, but it is a little slow, right? It gets a little bogged down. Um, oh, it's super slow, man. I, for, as far as watching this, especially in, in today's day and age, was uh, was like, wow, God, like... Um, you know, I, I tune out for a while and then he, you know, Freddie's there killing someone. Okay. I'm back in, you know, <laughs> but yeah, there's a lot of, um, yakety yak going on here where you can tell, um, we're, we're definitely, you know, taking the budget and putting it into these areas. And then these parts in the middle, <laughs> these are the parts where you guys just got to eat some time up. Yeah. We got to make sure it's a feature length film. So we're going to have some scenes in here that don't necessarily push the story forward, but Whatever we filmed them, you got to watch them. That's what I feel like, especially when well, they go to no the junkyard. There's no story to push forward. That's the thing, right? There's, you just have a group of people in a hospital. Freddy's slowly killing them. They have to band together, become the Dream Warriors, and fight off Freddy. That's the whole movie. So, yeah, in between like the moments of that happening, you know, I, it's just not that. I, and look, Frank. It's interesting. Frank Darabont was a writer on this, but this is no like Stephen King movie, right? Uh, which would probably be a, have a lot more interesting in between moments. But this doesn't have that. I always wondered why during this era they didn't reach out to people like Clive Barker, Stephen King. You know, you're well respected. Stephen King would have made a good move, one of these, I think, because he would have filled in these gaps. That, that these movies have that are boring with interesting shit. Which I wonder too, because you know, Wes Craven's behind this and he's an ex-psychology professor and this was his his baby all along. And I, I always wondered mm-hmm. if, a la John Carpenter, who didn't give a fuck about the franchise when he left, did he just phone these in or was there a complex idea that they but dumbed it definitely, down? Definitely, 100% does not, not feel like he did because you can watch the first and the seventh one. Watch the first and, and, and the last one and then look at these middle ones. There's a start. You don't difference. think he gave them a complex idea and they just dumbed it down, thinking that uh, we got to get this down to its base oh, 100%. element? 100%. Yes. But I don't think, also don't think he cared. Like, I think he is realistic with what he has to I'm Plus, look at some of the movies he's made. Um, I, I think he's a realistic person to understand that that's what they're going to do, right? Look what happened to the uh, Friday the 13th movies, right? From beginning to end, those are fucking vastly different movies. Yeah, those are almost like Mission Impossible. <laughs> like, like every entry is a different like, director, different yeah. storyteller. It's 
but regardless of that, there's a reason that, the, that these movies like came to the top of, of the bunch here. There's a reason that people watch Friday the 13th movies still. And there's a reason they watch um, these Nightmare on Elm Street uh, movies as well. And I still feel like it's never been recaptured yet. You know? I just the concept of not having you know not wanting to fall asleep is no, that's so not good. True. I, I will say the last Halloween movies did recapture this. The the first two, I do think not so. That, not that uh, last. Okay, one. For, that's fair enough. So the last one was a failure, but why was it a failure? Because it recaptured it. Was disappointing. It. Yeah, <laughs> it was a bigger failure than normal. If it was just a nor- uh, some other Halloween shit movie that they've we already done and failed out a million times before, no one would have cared. But it was a. It, people really cared because they had recaptured that. It re- I mean, they fucked it up at the end, but they still were able to create a trilogy that I was interested in. Yeah, for every single release. Yeah, no, you're you're right. So that's something. That is something. That's something. We were almost on something. We almost there. had it. You know, if they could just bring back <laughs> some someone a little more interesting, like Freddy Krueger. Like I don't. I'm interested now, maybe to watch that that uh, 2010. I'd be curious in your thoughts on <laughs> that. If you do watch that, let me know because it has. Ooh, I'm getting it, interested now. Why did that fail? It is beautifully done in terms of the cinematography. The, it has all the stuff that this one doesn't, that the first one didn't. Um, but you'll notice that uh-huh. it doesn't have one important element, and that's Robert England. And you'll see how crucial he is to the success of that movie and the failure of that. That is the. I, I do remember that's the reason I didn't watch it because that new Freddy Krueger looked fucking gay it looked like robocop 3 which actually turned out to be a pretty good movie but back in the day dude robocop 3 is like five foot yeah. <laughs> i mean seriously right it's like it's a bit of a yeah letdown. it's uh it is it's a bit of a letdown um and that's what this felt like to me it felt like a, like a kid playing freddy krueger did feel like it was just four foot yeah eight, it's, you know? it's not the same um but I, yeah watch that remake and let me know what you think if you guys are out there listening hit us up let us know what you think uh, about the remake about this podcast we're on twitter at movie mavericks of course our website you can always let us know your thoughts and if you're agreeing with us or you think we are totally full of shit um either can be true we don't know we've lost our objectivity at this point <laughs> <laughs> do you know what sequence I do want to point out one last thing that I forgot that exemplifies the humor of this movie is when Freddy shows up in a suit and cuts off the mom's head and puts it in front of the girl and is her mom's telling her you little bitch you never listen to me I mean things like that in this movie I forgot all about that as I look on my notes was like the humor as a kid as a kid that shit made me roll and I think it was because it was a reprieve from the the crazy shit that you were seeing and were going to see so it was like a oh ha ha the the bad guy's being kind of funny for a second before he fucking drives everyone crazy yeah it was definitely that's the same thing like when I read it as a kid um, I mean talking about Stephen King that was the same thing that would happen in that book like there'd be a moment where where the monster would I don't like kind of like not necessarily luring you in, but it wouldn't necessarily be like super scary. Or it wouldn't be it's almost charming, right? Dangerous, like, you know. It wasn't. It wasn't that it was charming. It just it wasn't dangerous at that moment. You could escape yeah. from it, but it was still enough to be like, oh shit! Like it's still fucking it. It's still a monster and stuff. And so there were moments in there where it was kind of humorous. It was a little weird and shit. And you were like, haha, But of course they're gonna get away. So there's nothing scary about it necessarily. So you're right. It's the same kind of a thing with this. I guess this is the best horror concept that Stephen King never invented because this seems right up King's alley with the the character and the concept and everything. So I wonder what his thoughts were on this series as it went. But back in these years, he was so coked out. He was doing maximum risk 
during this time. So he has nothing. I don't want to listen to his opinion on filmmaking for shit. <laughs> Well, that's going to wrap up tonight's show. We want to thank you guys for joining us on this look back at Freddy and the Dream Warriors. Speaking for Trevor Anderson, I'm Jason Rugard, and we are the Movie Mavericks. Oh my, another magnificent episode has come to an end. If you're craving more, set your destination to moviemavericks.com, warp 9. Engage! Engage!